You are now tuned into the Sociology Podcast. Sociology is a lifestyle brand that analyzes Chicago culture and connected topics abroad. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 2020 was an extremely emotional year for the entire world, obviously because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but for many other reasons as well. You know, the tragic murders of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, they sparked a series of protests and riots and looting across the entire country, but especially here in Chicago on the south side, the west side, and even downtown. It was a lot going on in the city last summer, and in this episode of Sociology, I'm going to talk with a young man from the south side of Chicago, Fashara Jordan Jr., who's a photographer. He fell in love with photography at a very early age. But we're going to talk about how not only did he develop a passion for photography, but he used that same passion to change the world and to document history in real time. So without further ado. All right. So, Vishan, you know, you're a photographer. Um, I'm a photographer. So, you know, it's a lot of things that I would love to know about you as well as our listeners on sociology. Number one being, what what got you into photography? So I read somewhere that it started with fishing trips. Is that true? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you did your research. Yes, as always, <laughs> I got to do my research. Um, so t- tell me about those fishing trips and, you know, how that went about and got you into photography. Yeah, so first, thanks for having me. Really excited to talk with you about this and the journey because photography is a visual medium that's really popular, but is also really personal. Mm-hmm. And everybody has their story. So for me, as I look back on the years, I've noticed that I've always had an interest in capturing the moment. Mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of knowing that moments are fleeting and they have to be recorded and captured. So when it came to taking photos, now if you think back, you know, we're in the digital age mm-hmm. and they're starting to make a return, but disposable cameras used to be the thing yeah and that's what people used and I received a disposable camera when I was like in elementary school and I would be the one kid on the summer camp trip and on the field trips during the school year taking photos the disposable camera but one of the earliest memories where like my parents were like we think you got something was those childhood fishing trips and I would take some photos. But photography was always something that was one of many things that I did, Mm -hmm. which in hindsight prepared me for the career path that I have today. Mm -hmm. But I really realized that I had an interest and this interest was a little more than the average person because I was the only person with a disposable camera and I was so attracted to, let me get a photo of that. Let me capture that and record it. Yeah. And, you know, um, like you said, we're, we're in the digital age now, but a lot of people don't understand the struggle of, you know, taking those pictures. You took like, you know, a hundred something pictures on those disposable cameras. You got to take them to Walgreens, get them developed. And depending on, you know, um, how backed up they are, it might take you a week at most to get those pictures back. A lot of people don't understand that struggle and how it used to be back then. Now everything right. is instant. You just upload it and boom, there it is. Yeah, and I think that's like my grounding in photography because one of the biggest things about disposable cameras is, number one, you can't see your shot right after you take it. And number two, you have a very limited number of shots. So my grounding in photography was, 
what's the best moment, right? If I want a photo of my friend, when should I get that photo? What background should we have? Because you're only getting one shot. You're not wasting my film, right? Yeah. So I have to really think about moments. And I think in today's age, that gets lost when we take 150 photos and then we go back and pick the best one. Mm -hmm. With film and that disposable camera, you only have one shot to get it right. So that's my grounding of really trying to find and capture that moment, even though I have the capacity to take a thousand photos and go back and pick one. You know, and I'm I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's something that I learned very early on. Um, One of my mentors in photography, when I first started out in 2011, 2012, you know, he told me that he, you know, because I had helped him do a wedding once, like I was his second shooter. And, you know, he knew most of the pictures I took, he really wasn't going to use because, you know, I wasn't that good at at that moment, but he just wanted to give me that experience. And when he was going through my SD card, you know, I had took like almost 700 pictures. And he was like, you know, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality, it's about getting the moment, it's not about capturing every single moment. You know, um, so I'm real glad that you mentioned that because I think that's a mistake a lot of young photographers or even photographers nowadays in general make because like you said, to your point, we have a lot more space, a lot more ability to take multiple photos, you know, on your camera phone, all of that. It's all about getting that right moment. It's not about getting everything. It's just you want to get that right moment. And um, so that, that that's, that's very profound. So you was taking pictures at these fishing trips. What type of things would you take? Like, what, what type of pictures? Like, would you take pictures of the fish that you guys caught? Would you take pictures of your family members as they was, you know, in the boats or on the side of the pond? Like, give us a brief example of some things that you would capture. So for me, it was super simple. It was a photo of the water, photo putting the worm on the uh, fishing hook. Of course, when you catch something at the time, we're catching uh, catfish and taking photos of the fish and holding the fish up. But what I realized that I was doing was covering the sink, getting every different aspect of the trip and telling that narrative story through photos is what Mm -hmm. I was doing. And what's actually cool is because those photos are printed, I still have all of those images. The photos that I took on a disposable camera, I never threw them away, but I still have all of them in photo albums. Mm. Gotta keep those uh, gentle reminders from the past. Gotta keep that. So, you evolved from the family fishing trips to the the passion of photography. It followed you throughout high school. And um, so you went to Columbia College, Chicago, to my understanding, correct? Yeah. So I received my mm-hmm. associate's degree from Kennedy King College, which is okay. the city college of Chicago. And then I transferred to Columbia to mm-hmm. complete my bachelor's degree. So I did two at Kennedy King and two at Columbia. Okay. And... I assume the passion for photography is what drew you to Columbia because it's a media art school and all of that. You know what's interesting? I actually majored in television. Really? So you wanted That's to always, go into news or something like that? Yeah, I think my thinking about it was more so of like, if I already know photography, I should try to get another skill in school mm-hmm. and learn something different instead of um, going to school and spending this opportunity for that I already know. But definitely cameras and broadcast tv actually when i was in high school i was in an after school program and they had a summer portion and they took us on a trip to windy city live okay and i was i was hooked from there when i saw just that live tv and news and interviews and celebrities 
that's when I knew this was something that I could see myself in. But photography was always a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I joke with folks, I think I'm just in a little too deep now. Too late to turn back. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, um, the streets need that now. <laughs> you know, the streets <laughs> right. need that now. They, that, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't walk away from the game now. Um, um, yeah, so that's interesting. You went to Columbia because you was in streaming broadcasting first. Um, I started out, my major was broadcasting at Western Illinois University. And nice. my, my minor was film. Um, that was the goal in the beginning to be a film director. So it was the opposite with me. It's kind of like photography found me, you know, um, when I was trying to go a different route in, in the beginning because I wanted to go into the film directing world and things like that. But I had to realize that at the, at the root of it all, photography, film directing, broadcast, what have you, my strength was storytelling. You know, um, that, that's really what's my strength. That was really what, you know, binded me to all of these creative outlets. And um, I had to figure out a way to cultivate all of those outlets and keep them seamless. So you going into the broadcasting world, trying to find another skill to complement your photography is still like your photography thirst got even larger, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, and it's like, it was sensational. You couldn't get away from it. Even if, you know, it's not like he was trying to get away from it, but it's like, uh, let me try to find something else to compliment. It's like, no, you don't need nothing to compliment me. I'm here. <laughs> you know? Right, because also I use my time, um, I use my time in high school. Mm-hmm. And that's, I was always, so what if the childhood fishing trips, that was my start into just taking photos and videos. But I realized that I was actually attracted to photography yeah. when I got to high school. That is when I, I actually credit high school as my start in photography. And what high school did you go to? So I went to Brooks College Prep over in Roseland. Got you. Okay. 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 And that's that's where it really took off then. It really took hold of you there. Yeah. I mean, it was literally a love at first sight moment. I never forget. It was my freshman year. It was the day of the school's pep rally before homecoming. And there was another student at the time. He was a school's photographer, Eric Chandler. And he had a DSLR. It was a Canon T3i. Very mm-hmm. simple uh, entry level with DSLR. And I'm yeah. telling you, that was my first time physically laying eyes on the. I've only used camcorders before. And I held it, never let it go, pretty much. And I actually became the school's photographer. So I was taking photos okay. of all of the school activities. And I actually had my own photography club where I was teaching other students photography so they can take it on when I graduated. But that is where I really blossomed and was able to learn and grow as a photographer. Yeah, yeah. And what year was this um, when you was in the high school? What, what year was these? So I, was, I started high school in 2013. I graduated in 2017. 2017. And then you went to Kennedy King. And then Correct. to Kennedy King, you went to Columbia College, Chicago. Okay, so now that's the timeline. So we started in 2013, and now we're in May 25th, 2020, when George Floyd was murdered um, in Minneapolis. And we all know what happened after that, the ensuing events um, across the country, but especially here in Chicago, because we are Chicagoans, and that's what we're talking about. We know what happened. Um, we was out there. Um, we witnessed it. Um, we witnessed it in the South Shore. We witnessed it in Chatham. We witnessed it all over the place. Um, we witnessed NBC out here covering the riots and all of that. 
you've been in photography at this point for about seven years, you know, um, what gave you that urge to say, I got to get out here in these streets and I got to capture what the hell's going on? Simple. My life was on the line. Yeah. This was a fight for the black life. When I look at George Floyd as a black man, he was interchangeable. I could have been any black man who would have suffered the same fate as we've seen historically. Yeah. So I knew that I had to get out there. And what we saw that was different was in Chicago, the last time we've seen protests and riots like this was back when Dr. King 16. was assassinated. Yeah. That's the last time we've seen that. And when I saw Black women stepping up on the front lines, and I saw non-Black people coming out as allies, I knew as a Black man who was at the center of this, I had to go out and be a part of that. And with photography, photography helps me understand and process the world. And photography is where I feel safe, behind the camera. I'm able to go around to the front of the protest, the middle, the back, the side. With a camera, you can go anywhere, but that allows me to get a good vantage point, 360, and understand it. So I, I wasn't initially coming out to do what the end result of my photography work was, but I am someone who's born and raised south side of Chicago. And I love the city and I photograph the city as a result of that. So on a, any given year, of course, uh, before COVID and that completely uprooted our lives. One of the things that I would do that I'll actually be doing this Saturday again and next Thursday is I volunteer for all of the Chicago parades. Mm -hmm. So I take photos for the Thanksgiving parade, the Night of My Lights Festival, the Halloween parades and all types of events around the city. So yeah, I saw you protest. take a picture at the Chicago Sky uh, Championship Parade as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did that um, for work, but it's like that yeah. I would have done that either if it wasn't for work. And um, so protest is a part of Chicago's DNA. That wasn't my first protest. I've done protests before. So when I came out on May 30th, I thought that it was business as usual. Thirty thousand people showed up. We protest. We come out. We fight, and we go home. The next week, June 6th, activate Shah's March of Justice, 38,000 people. When I saw that, I knew this was different. Mm -hmm. It was different. People, the momentum was still there. The energy was still there. And it kept going and going and going with thousands of people filling the streets. And then there came a moment that I went to some protests that weren't in the loop. They weren't downtown. They weren't outside of City Hall. They weren't outside the mayor's house in Logan Square. They were in the neighborhoods. Yeah. And some were protests, some were just community events and giveaways. But what I noticed was that when there wasn't a huge police presence, when they were, they were not in the loop, when there wasn't an expectation of violence, the news coverage was only a fraction of what they got in the loop. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment where I realized I have to keep telling these stories because the mainstream news outlets were being, were picking and choosing what was newsworthy yeah. because blood bleeds through to the front 
and they weren't covering those community events. And that's why I decided to consistently do it, which the end result was I covered 37 protests in just about three months. 37 protests, three months. That's a lot of shooting. That's a lot of working. That's a lot of 17,000 photos. Um, that's, that's, that's a lot of work. You know, um, people, people got the nerve and I don't know why, you know, why I know why, but it's just ridiculous to me that how like, now people are saying like it's a whole debate about wedding photographers getting getting fed. You know what I'm saying? Should wedding photographers get fed? Hell yeah, oh, they should yes. get fed for working <laughs> 10, eight to ten hours. You out there for hours. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You out, out there around. for hours, like running around. You putting wedding photography to you know you making that look like light work. You went super saying. You know what I'm saying? And um, that deserves a whole a dollar meal. Off of it. <laughs> that deserves I better get a meal. That that deserves a lot of it. So um, all right, I want to I want to uh backpedal a little bit real quick so you said you feel safe behind the camera right so you're out there with all of these people shouting screaming you know it's just you know some could call it chaos some could call it you know some could some can call it whatever they want but you know it's just a lot of things going on around you never once did you feel threatened out there surrounded by cpd surrounded by protesters surrounded by trump supporters all of that never once did you feel like, you know, you were in enemy territory while he was out there shooting. So I'm gonna, in my, the book that I put together with the photo, I'm gonna just read the last sentence that I wrote in like the foreword. And I said, um, despite being spurred by violence, this revolution was built on peace, love, joy, led by the youth and occurred during the pandemic of COVID-19, Black Joy's revolutionary. And, to expound on that and answer your question, when I was out in the protest, I was, I was with my people. Mm-hmm. Folks were coming out to make sure that we had a better tomorrow. I mean, if we just take a step back from the incidents and look at this as a whole, the entire movement of fight for Black life is literally a fight for us to be equal. It's a, like the, the, the basic ask is, can you stop killing us? And when we go out to the protest, it was always love. It was always community. The only time that I felt in danger was by the people who are paid and under an oath to protect us. Mm -hmm. But when I was with the people in the protest, I never felt unsafe Mm -hmm. um, because of another civilian that was out there with me. Yeah regardless of um, what their ideologies were. Now, with the Trump supporters, that's a different breed. Okay. And there was definitely civilian on civilian violence with that. But with the protests that I was at, and people group it into BLM, they're not all yeah, absolutely. the same umbrella. Yeah, we know but, that. Yeah, we know yeah. that. But, you know, that's what the narrative is. Um, right, but that realm of protest... Um, all types of um, backgrounds, identities, and thoughts and beliefs, but definitely. And I think that um, when people see certain protests, it looks like just chaos. But one of the things that um, gets lost is protests are extremely organized. Like people have jobs at protests. There are block marshals who are leading and guiding the route. There are bike marshals who are the bar- typically white allies, the barriers between the police and the people. 
There are street medics out there. There are folks out there who are giving people out food and water and drinks. There are people playing instruments. Like it's very, very, very uh, controlled and developed to be safe. That's a good point. That's a good point um, because you know you mentioned Dr. King, and that's the last time Chicago seen something like this on that magnitude back right. in the You look at everything that you know the civil rights movement did. You know um, all of the um, allied organizations that worked with Dr. King, they were extremely organized. Right. And if they could be that organized back then, you know, I mean, we could talk about the Montgomery, Montgomery bus boycott, you know, that was one of the most organized movements that Black Americans have ever put on. Um, if they could be organized, surely these are organized in 2020, 2021. Um, so that's a very good point that you made. Now, you, you're out there all of these days. You said over how many photos? 17,000? 17,000. 17,000. And I assume that's a lot of raw images. So that's a lot of space. Um, I have them all on a hard drive. That's a lot of space. Um, at what point did you say, you know what? After being out here in the streets of Chicago for so long, um, capturing so many emotions, I need to put this in a book. At what point did that click in your head? So that goes back to my grounding in photography and my start. I've always been, I just consider myself a forward thinker in the sense of the reason I'm taking the photos in the first place was because I knew that these moments were fleeting. And I'm also someone who has worked in communications and worked in news before I actually started covering a protest, I was a, I was still at the time an intern for Chicago Public Schools where I was serving as the district photographer. I did that for three years. Okay. So I worked in comms. I know how news works. I work with media. But one of the things that concerned me was I knew we wouldn't be talking about this a year from now, maybe even months from now. I knew that I could post a photo. That photo can go viral. But now, what are we, like a year and a half removed from the protest? No yeah. one is looking at my social media, going back and looking over. All of that stuff is old news. And I knew that um, these stories were so important to be told because I think, um, and I talked about this a lot during February, I released a book in October. The following February, one of the things that I reflected on was how when we think about Black history, we think about Dr. King, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks. You can name a list of iconic black figures, but there's one thing that they all have in common. And that is, there's a photograph of them. Mm -hmm. They're on video, they're on some record. Can you imagine if we didn't have photos or videos of Dr. King, do you think he would be as popular? Not at all. If okay. we've only heard stories and what we have to think about today is that we are tomorrow's history. We are going to be someone's ancestors. And if we don't start recording our history today, we're gonna to lose it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I knew that this needed to be in something that we can control. I don't control my social media. Mark Zuckerberg controls that. Zach, Jack Dorsey controls that. They can suspend my accounts today and gone. Just, just to do it. 
Just to do it. With, with the press of a button, I could say the wrong word and they don't care about how much history is on my page. It's gone. But I knew if I put this in a book, number one, you can flip through three months into a, a single book that is from those media captions. And number two, the internet can get wiped out today. Mm -hmm. But that book is going to still be there as long as you take care of it. Mm. And that can get passed down. That's real. That's real. That's real. So it's basically you were um you were basically being a historian in the flesh, you know, a historian in real time. That's basically what you were doing. And that's exactly what the book is. Um, so right. you know, and just for those listening, I'm gonna put the link to it in the um in the bio. The name of the book is Chicago Protest, a Joyful Revolution. I like that word usage, a joyful revolution um because you know revolution tends to have a negative connotation you know right. uh, we think revolution we think you know um people getting killed bayoneted and you know people waving flags yep. and you know throwing people off the top of a castle no it's a joyful revolution like you said the simple ask was to stop killing us you know george floyd brianna taylor laquan mcdonald um but then there are a lot of ads that spawn from that a lot of ask that spawned from that simple ask right. and that's why people are out there that's why people are angry that's why people are emotional because it's been going on for so long for so long and you know if we you know it's, it's, it's greater than the number of the sands on the seashore if we could name the many names of black americans that have been senselessly senselessly murdered specifically by law enforcement, specifically by the government, specifically by, you know, um, the cancer known as slavery. If we can just name all of those people, Jim Crow, if we can name all the Black Americans murdered by these institutions, it's going to outnumber the sands on the seashore, you know, and people want to talk about Black on Black crime, which doesn't exist. It doesn't amount to this. That's why people are out there. So it's a joyful revolution. I love that verbiage. And you was able to capture this joyful revolution in the streets of Chicago, a city that we love, but also a city that has been misunderstood for so long, but also a city that is very corrupt, has a city that has very questionable motives, but a city that's very beautiful at the same time. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of like a collage of all these different facets of Chicago, and you was able to capture all of that in this joyful revolution. Yeah, and just to even talk more about that title, one of the questions that I got a lot when I was doing interviews about the book during the initial press run was what made you focus on the joy and I always have to correct the person doing the interview because I never set out to focus on anything in particular my entire goal and motivation was to tell the truth mm -hmm. every a lot of the uh, media that we see has some sort of level of bias to it so my whole thing was let me go out here and just give it to you straight. And that's why I dare to cover Trump rallies and pro-police rallies. And that was another thing. People were surprised that it's like, you know, why would you go out and, and cover that? But my thing was, if what I believe is honest to God truth, I can show you both sides. And if you are a truth-seeking person, you will see where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. I don't have to not show that. History is objective. It's, it's, it's subjective also, but ultimately it's objective. And I yeah. think that's, that's where, you know, school systems and, you know, 
education kind of loses, um, they, they, they kind of fall off track because history has never been objective. Like, think about it. When you was in school and, you know, this is just a sidebar. I'm going to let you get back to, to your thought. When you was in school, we talked about Dr. King and Rosa Parks and Malcolm X. That's really all we was taught. And on top of that, it was only like a paragraph. They could miss all of that to like one page. And it was like, okay, yeah, next. Let's go to the Vietnam War. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it was never objective in the public schools. And what you're doing is you're giving an objective overview of what's going on in 2020. And we're in the different age. I yeah. think that um, what made these protests so unique and so powerful was we were used to that violence. Like we were used to folks coming out in the streets and being met with violence, but the protests in 2020, you saw people swag surfing outside the mayor's house. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so unique how the modern day protests were just full of joy, light, and love. And it's like, we don't even have to come out. And because, I mean, you already know the folks that were looting once the folks that were out there at the peaceful protest. Those are two different sets of people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like for us to be able to just come out and say, we're going to come out and have a dance party and get on the mic and perform. A lot of folks leading protests were our artists. And that was one of the things that super nonviolent approach. That's one of the things that really made these protests so unique and how we just fought fire with love because just have to remember we're out here responding to violence mm-hmm. with peace. Yes. And love is always greater than hate. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like to hear that. A lot of motherfuckers don't like to hear that. I know. I get it. I get it. It's hard to hear when you're angry and, you know, but the reality is love is definitely stronger than hate. It's just reality. Um, that's just the facts. So yeah, that's true. I love to give you my proudest moment from mm-hmm. the protest. So I was at a protest and this was like later on after I did a lot of the covers that I did. And um, a young white girl came up to me. She's probably mid to late teen. It's like, hey, are you Vashon? Yeah, she's like, yeah, I follow your work. Look what you do. But she told me that her parents, and she's like from, she's from the outside of Chicago. She told me that her parents didn't want her going to the protest because they thought they were dangerous and violent because of what they saw on the news. But she showed them my work and that changed their minds and opened their hearts. And they went from discouraging her to go to the protest to encouraging her to go join after seeing my work. A camera changed someone's standpoint on that. A camera changed someone's perspective. Your perspective through that aperture changed someone's perspective on humanity. Look how that was. Showing the truth. You know, yeah, I know we like to say that the, 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 the photos don't lie. And it's like, that's true, but the photographers do. Mm. You can go out because, I mean, if I go out to a protest for an hour and I bring back one image, you know, a photo is a fraction of a second. Yep. You can really alter and change the entire outlook of everything that went on with that one image. So photos don't lie, photographers do. And it's very important to just understand where your work is coming from. And for this, it's coming from somebody who's from this city, who knows this city and has a different stake because I'm not someone out reporting on this with a hope to keep these same institutions in place. Correct, correct. 
So Chicago Protest of Georgia Revolution, that's out now on Amazon. And where else is it available? It's also in 16 Chicago Public Library. So you can search mm -hmm. the book on Google. Uh, you don't have to buy it on Amazon. You can go check it out in a library. The book is also available in the Chicago History Museum's collections. Okay. And I've actually donated all 117 images from the book to the Chicago History Museum, where I become the first Chicago-born photographer, only fifth overall, to have their own photo collection in the museum. And when I went to donate the images and the book to the museum to have a part of their collection, they told me something that I'll never forget. They told me that my book was the first artifact from the protest in the museum. Mm. And think about that. We're the third largest city in the country. We've had historic, undoubtedly historic protests. And if it wasn't for my book, there would be nothing in the history museum talking about the 2020 protests. Wow. That's, yeah. So that's why, that's all the more reason why the work you're doing is monumental, groundbreaking, historic, necessary. Um, and For we, the audience we, we, we and everybody that. else, I'm one person and what I've done is use photography to move the needle. Everybody has something they can contribute. You're contributing by even giving me space and hearing my story and having me hear yours to shape the perspectives. Everybody has something that they can do. So. Absolutely. You don't have to be a photographer, you don't have to be an activist, but everybody has something that they can do in their life to move the needle because we're going to take all of us to save us. Absolutely. We all got to move the needle so we can get those decibels going and we can make some noise. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's amazing, Vashon. Um, I definitely congratulate you on all of that. I salute you. Um, you. After, after this, so after you published a book, after you donated it and got into these different platforms and avenues, you became the staff photographer for the governor, Governor Pritzker. Is that correct? Yeah, for his uh, re-election campaign. Okay, Sorry. okay. Um, so tell us about that. How's it working with the governor, the lieutenant governor, the first black lieutenant governor of the state? Yep, first yeah. one. Tell, tell us, walk us through a typical day of working, you know, on the staff. Now, my background is familiar with politics. So just to add that extra context, when I graduated high school, I spent three years with Chicago Public Schools. During that time, I also held a photography internship under Mayor Emanuel. And mm -hmm. I spent three years traveling around with his photographer, taking photos. And I also spent uh, the first week and a half helping, in, helping out and photographing their life. So politics has been something that I've been involved in when it comes to photography. Now with this position here, it's just surreal to be able to travel the state and cover the governor. But what makes the job so great is they're just great people. Mm -hmm. And our Lieutenant Governor is from Chicago, yep. from the South side of Chicago. She's born and raised here. So for me on the um, campaign side, so it's very, it's very um, split. You have the official side, which is the state side, and those are the employees that cover him for the state. On my side, everything that I do is political, mm -hmm. and I'm creating images for us to use in his reelection campaign. 
So it's not the same as following him around every day, okay. photographing okay. everything that he does because I'm not the recorder of our state system. Actually, there is no photographer in that position, mm. but that is different. So my job is I cover him at campaign related events, some state events, but it's more so um, very select events. So the election is in November of next year. We're gonna, of course, ramp up and do a lot more but just to give you so just some background, since I've been there for two months, any given day, I could be in our campaign office working on editing photos and choosing photos for us to use for different materials and social media. And then, of course, we have events. And I think one of the things that was a shock to me, but shouldn't have been a shock to me, was this is legitimately a state position. I just had an assignment just a couple of days ago, where I had a two hour drive each way. I've been mm-hmm. on a couple trips where there have been five hour drives each way for this. So that makes it- Man. Fun. Yeah, we, we had to go all across the city. We had to <laughs> stay, to stay. Man, can I take Amtrak? Shit. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the other side of having a state position because you know Chicago is close to the top of the state. Right. So damn it, out the state. You know what I'm saying? We in a, we all the way in the corner. I think we're our own state, but that's another state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Because when you go outside of Chicago, it's like, is this your Illinois? Mm-hmm. It's very different. And um, but I have to do that. So I actually have an assignment um two weeks from yesterday where I have to drive three and a half hours each way to cover an event. So I'm talking, I'm going to get up, do a three and a half hour drive, cover the event for maybe 45 minutes to an hour and do the drive back to Chicago. That's a lot of gas money. That's all I'm thinking about. That's a lot of gas money. Because <laughs> gas prices right now, man. It's something. I, I found a, I've been in a couple of cities where I, I think the cheapest I got was maybe three fifty. Mm. That's it. Yeah. I've seen some $4 here in the city. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's getting up there, man. It's getting up there, but yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a, it's time. It takes a lot of time, you know. Um, you know, people look, they be like, "Oh, that's great, he staff photographer for the governor." Oh my God, that's amazing, which it is. But they th- these are the things that they don't see having to take five hour drives there and back. That's ten hours out your day already, and we're not right. even talking about capturing it. We're not even talking about dumping the footage. We're not even talking about editing. You know, and then you got to do it again, like maybe a couple days, you know, that's what they don't see. So, you know, it takes a lot of perseverance to, you know, really get through that. Um, and it seems like you're doing it. So, you know, that's that's a great opportunity covering the governor, the lieutenant governor. Then we got another opportunity that you have uh, with the Chicago Bulls. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I have an opportunity coming up in February for Black History Month. Now, I don't know exactly how much I can say. Okay. Understood. Because it, it is for Black History Month, and I, I don't want to spoil the entire Understood. thing, but uh, what I will say is that we are trying to reimagine how we do Black History Month and reimagine the images that we show and move away from just showing the past, but to also showing the present, who will eventually be our future. So mm-hmm. I have been um, selected along with a few other photographers to capture some photos for um, an assignment related to Black History Month out in the community. And those photos 
will be shown during the Bulls Black History Month game, which I believe is February 7th against the Phoenix Suns. But you will see the photos. There will be a part of broadcast drops and a lot more that's still being planned and worked out. But definitely something special coming up with the Bulls for Black History Month in February. Perfect. And, you know, it's, it's perfect timing, too, because the Bulls are great again. You know, it's like we had, we had some years <laughs> that we, we it was hard, man. It was like it was some it was some years I didn't even watch a Bulls game at all. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was tough. And like now we, you know, we are we a serious contender for the East. So it's perfect time. Everything is like in its perfect alignment right now. So that's great. That's dope. Um, I got two final questions for you. The first question I'm going to ask you, Vashon, is because I know a lot of people are going to ask me and they're going to be wondering, what type of cameras do you use? Great. I love talking technical. So mm -hmm. I use a Canon. So for all the protest stuff, I use a uh, Canon 1DX Mark II. Got it. And so this is a professional sports camera. Uh, that's what I use, a Canon 1DX Mark II. And then the lenses are pretty basic, a 24 to 72.8. 70 to 200, 2.8, um, flash. And now I'm starting to make that switch over to Sony mirrorless cameras. Okay. So I, in addition to the Canon 1DX Mark II, I also have a Sony A9. Okay. Same thing with those basic ones. So when you see I have it sitting right here next to me, actually. Oh, the A9, what, you <laughs> yeah. have a 24 to 70, 70 to 200? Yep, I got 24 to 70, 2.8 G Master. I got the 70 to 200. Yep. Oh, I got a 16 to 35. Yeah, yeah. So it's sitting right here. So we have the same nice. loadout. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, I've been looking into some of the new. I know Canon has an R3 coming out, which has. Have you heard about the new R3? Uh, not too much. I, I know it's coming, but I haven't like really paid attention to you know what the talking is about it and all of that. You should check it out. Um, and this is something just for all my photography heads out there. And I'm not a paid spokesperson for Canada, but I should send this to them to ask for a couple of dollars. But <laughs> they have a feature where the autofocus can track your eye. Oh, that's beautiful. And where you look at in the viewfinder, it will automatically focus on that object. Oh, that's amazing. It's oh, wicked. It's a $6,500 camera, but I cannot wait to hopefully try that out. I would love that because, yes. <laughs> yes, right. Because you, know, <laughs> you know, because you know, the human eye is still greater than these cameras. You know, um, at the end yep. of the day, the human eye is still always going to be superior to no to any camera that rolls out, regardless if it's fifty five hundred, a ten thousand. None of these cam these cameras are just basically trying to replicate what the human eye can see. Literally. So if it's tracking what the human eye is focusing on, yeah, that's groundbreaking, right there. That's groundbreaking. Right. Like, how many do you want? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's groundbreaking. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, that's dope. So really, um, really excited to check that out. So, and then my last question, um, mm -hmm. and I just want you to think real long and hard on this. Do you think the Chicago skyline poses better than any other city in the country as yes. a photographer? <laughs> Easy. Easily. Yeah, <laughs> easily. I mean, it's, it's really no nope. Nobody else compares. You gotta ask. You gotta push that question up to uh, to my guy, Six Figure Dilla. <laughs> yeah, who he was on his podcast as well. Um, he was on his podcast as well. Yeah, you know, no one poses better than the Chicago skyline. You know, we could talk about New York is just too crowded. It's too much going on. 
too too much chaotic too much chaos they don't know how to they don't know what they want to do over there you know um every other city is just miniature but chicago is like the perfect size and it always knows how to look good i've actually been doing a series recently where i've been taking some photos of the sunset and different parts of the city including the skyline i was just over near madison and pulaski got some photos of east garfield park but I have about I think six or seven photos that I've put out recently just showing the beauty of this city. And of course, the skyline is definitely a top main character and all of that. Yeah, the skyline can't be defeated. And I actually did see one of your photos from uh the sunset series. And you know, nice. I guess I guess it is true. It is grass out west. Right. I'm, I didn't I have to go see it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> it is grass out west. You know, so all shout right. out to Out West Illinois. Y'all got grass. But we still love y'all. We still love y'all. Trying to be objective. If you enjoyed this podcast, I ask for two things. Number one, leave a five-star review. And number two, pass it on to a friend who may enjoy it as well. And don't forget to subscribe to our other podcast, Mogul Motivation from True Stories Media.